We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 254 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Gil Hilton, and I'm joined by Frances Tomas. Frances, in my notes to start this show, it says, Campiones, champions. We're going to talk about that, but certainly that is going to turn into the undercard here. It will, all Agules. Um, it probably will, but the thing is, you know, we cannot really dance to the tune of Florentino's giving us the dance. Um, he obviously announced the Superliga the day after we won the cup and they didn't. Um, coincidence? Maybe. You know, but, you know, there are lots of uh, reasons and things. And, and when a, a year has got 365 days for this Superliga thing to explode the day after we win La Copa, it's suspicious. But, you know, that's the world we live in. That's the world that Florentino wants us to live in as well. So there you go. We celebrate and he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I know that everyone's taken in their fair share of Super League content, but I, I think for us to have recorded this today, basically two days after the announcement, where everyone else recorded it yesterday, I feel like we have a little bit of privilege where we got to take a even larger step back and say, hey, what is this? What do we know from this thing? And where can we go from here as Kool-Aid and FC Barcelona fans? So we're going to do all of that. But first, we have to start with the fact that Barcelona, as you mentioned, did win a trophy for the first time in two years, which would be the big story. It'd be the only thing we talk about on today's show. So that's how we're going to start with Copa del Rey, then get into the Super League. So Copa del Rey, 4 nothing win. I mean, let's put try to put the smile on, Frances, because it's the 31st trophy in uh, for the Copa del Rey in FC Barcelona's history, the most all-time of any of any club. And it's also the first trophy for Ronald Koeman that could affect his his future going forward. It could affect it for Messi. It's the first one he's won in two years. It could affect his future moving forward. But just talking about what happened on the field, that four nothing win, including that fourth goal where there was, uh, what was it? 61 consecutive passes or something like that yep. around that number. And then just the performance from, I mean, what I have listed is the performance of De Jong and Griezmann with the eye test. And then what they saw with and what you saw with the goals as well. Messi, of course, the brace showing up. But then on second viewing, because, I mean, I, I usually view or try to view even the losses one and a half times, but this one I was glad to be able to view for a second time. Busquets and Piquet were also sensational beyond what I saw even in first viewing, and Pedri was good. So there's very few negatives to speak about when speaking about the Copa del Rey because it was a comprehensive performance from FC Barcelona. 
Exactly. It reminded me of the Barca of old, not because of the formation we had, which was clearly different, but because of the very commanding nature of our win. Um, I thought that it was the culmination of everything that Kuma has been working towards the whole year to build. I was surprised that he stuck with the 3-5-2, but you know, in hindsight, we need to give it to him. It seems to have been the right decision for, for him to do that. Uh, we seemed really, really solid at the back. Um, Piquet coming back, which I wanted him to start, um, as I said in the previous podcast, um, was the right thing for Kuman to do. As you just mentioned, he was pretty much faultless throughout the whole match, and that added um, a, a larger degree of confidence for Mingetha and the rest of the bike line to actually do what they do best, which is holding position, but actually moving forward as well whenever it's possible. Um, the young had arguably, he, he didn't quite I listened to his press conference and he didn't quite agree with this. But to me, he was he had the best game since he joined Barca. He was everywhere. He was commanding. He knew exactly what Barca was about. He was the engine at the, at the heart of the team. But his physicality and his desire was mind-blowing. I was really, really impressed with him. Um, if you're protected from behind in terms of Piquet and the, the back three, and you've got the young and Pedri at the front, then obviously Busquets is going to have a great game. Um, he, his passing uh, connections and his decision-making was, again, worthy of the, of the result that we obtained at the end. And uh, Griezmann was on target. Uh, Messi did everything the, the way that Messi does. So you cannot really fold the, the 90 minutes that we played. Uh, Barca were commanding from beginning to end. Um, Williams had as far as I remember, a couple of runs, one fairly dangerous at the end of the first half, but and you could sort of see that happening again in the second, but it didn't. Barca were better than Atletic de Bilbao. I do think that them losing to Real Sociedad the previous week was playing in their minds as well, but ultimately, uncontestable win, and we're really pleased to be celebrating a title here again. Yeah, I mean, Barca did so many different things, right? that for Athletic Club, I found it actually pretty simple to break down even the goals or what Barca did right in this match. So for the first 60 minutes, Antoine Griezmann, Pedri, Frankie de Jong, and, and Pedri isn't going to be making those runs into the box, but Barca were, because of what was coming down the wings between Alba and Dest, that's where Athletic Club were forcing the ball to go to. They wanted those crosses in. Athletic Club trusting themselves that they're one of the better teams in Liga to cut those crosses out. And again, Pedri's not really making those runs into the box. He's more supporting Messi, and so there just weren't enough bodies in the box that, that were going to make Unai Simeon think about think about anything. And for Griezmann, the opening goal happens because that near post run that he wasn't making up to that point, he finally makes it, and he finally gets the goal. And then you look back at the, I believe it was the first Messi goal, who, by the way, has nine goals now, the most in Copa del Rey history, uh, final history, if you will. That cutback from Alba, which Athletic Club were were excited to be able to cut out to defend and they defended it well for the first 60 minutes and uh, you know I, I i was thinking about it and i saw that you know that cutback from alba it was blocked the whole match until it wasn't and then you know obviously as you mentioned i i think that match was really two nothing or you know one nothing two nothing but athletic club because they lost to real sociedad two weeks prior it winds up being four nothing but messi also on his day he was dribbling at the opposition for fun and athletic club didn't really have an answer and then i think about that wild run with some help from de young obviously and that absurd incredible run that that messi makes reminiscent of the 2015 goal he scores against athletic club in the Copa del rey um as history repeats itself but even controlling that match as i mentioned on second viewing it was busquets and pk 
who I think really, truly helped Barca control that match. PK, his defense, sideline to sideline, as you had mentioned on Iñaki Williams, and then Busquets, and this is the fault of Athletic Club. Every time Barca have lost, Busquets has not had that much time on the face on the ball. And what continues to be proven this season in particular is that when Busquets plays really, really well, and when the opposition fails to close out uh, on the space that he's given, then Barca struggle. But when Busquets has that kind of time and space to dictate the pace of the match, it's going to be all Barcelona. And it was certainly all Barcelona. I mean, the fun stat here is Oscar Mangueza, who was really, really good too, especially on first viewing. There was a moment in the 26th minute where he and Messi are creating something. Mingetha wins the ball. He steps uh, steps in on the on the interception. Then he drives right up the middle, right down Broadway, and then spreads, that being Messi and Des, spread out the right side of the defense. And Mingetha, uh, as, as any midfielder slash defender in the academy is taught, continue your run with the ball. Trust yourself with the ball. He continues his run. And if not for some last-ditch defending by Uri, Messi would have easily finished the pass from Mingetha's head as Mingetha continued his run all the way into the penalty box. And the, the stat here, 56 passes in the first half of the final, okay? That's not the impressive thing. That's more passes completed than all Athletic Club players combined in the first 45 minutes. Athletic Club as a whole only completed 56 of 87. So Oscar Mingetha completing more passes than all of Athletic Club tells you who is dictating that match. And not to say that Barca deserved to win the Copa, but they certainly did. And what I had mentioned on the locker room, on FC Barcelona's, on the YouTube channel, whatever, on the Twitch page, I had mentioned that as much as we care about tactics and the 3-5-2 and optics and, 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 and tactics and all those different things, it was really going to come down to who wanted it more. And whether it was Dembele starting, he was pulled out of the starting lineup probably because of the injury, maybe precautionary, we're not sure. But what we do know is that FC Barcelona and those players wanted this trophy more than Athletic Club, and so they won it. Of course, of course. Um, fully agreed in pretty much every point you made. I think that the fact that have reached this stage of the season, having someone as effective as Dembele in a final, not even making the start in 11, that tells you what the story of the season has been. Um, normally at this stage, um, every player is fried, or the vast majority of them. They have played so many games that they're battling with injury, and if they're not fully injured, they're just fatigued, and they just really can't perform at this level. Uh, this is the same Cantinella, the same song that we've heard for the last five, six years, and uh, you know we've lost uh, diabolically against Bayern Munich and PSG and Liverpool, etc., etc., etc. And now we are at this stage of the season in which actually the players look fit both physically and mentally, and uh, we've got three or four players, if not five or six, coming off the bench that can actually add. And, you know, you know that if someone went off injured, you've got someone like um, Griezmann or Dembele, whoever was on the bench. Um, you could argue that um, even Piani could come on. You could say that Ilash Moliba could be a starter. You could say that there are Trincao, for example. There are a lot of players that could make the start in 11, and this is the greatness of the current season, and, and I'm going to say it, the excellent season that Barca has completed under Ronald Koeman. There is no other way to describe this season already, and I don't really care who, well, I do care, but rather we win it. But for the judgment that I'm making, I think winning La Liga would just be the cherry on top. I mean, Koeman was given a, a squad with uh, Rakitic and uh, Turo Vidal and Suarez and Messi just wanted to leave, and he's turning around uh, and he's promoted a lot of young talent from La Masia that have been made to feel important. I mean, you just talked about Mingueza. I didn't even mention Messi very much. No one bats an eyelid about that because that's where we are now. This is what this coach, uh, with the tools that he was given at his disposal, 
has created. The season is excellent. I was not expecting, and you can go back and listen to the tape. We've got 254 episodes of that. At this stage of the season, lifting a trophy, totally unexpected for me. I think that surpasses the expectations of, um, and I'm normally quite pessimistic, I'd say, yeah. of any anything that I could say at the beginning of the year. Um, people in Catalonia are delighted that the team is what it is. Um, there are so many, you can't go back five, six months, and there were so many people criticizing Kuman, and he's turning around, and the season is excellent, you know, and he's got um, the old guard firing in all cylinders. Um, you know, go back 13 months, and where Arturo Vidal, Rakitic, Suarez went, we were calling for Jordi Alba, Pique, Busquets to follow. And really, arguably, they're in the top six players of the Barca in terms of performance of the Barca that just lifted the, the Bilbao. Obviously, you can argue this is not a Champions League, this is not a league or whatever. Yes, you can argue all that and you can, you know, rubbish your own achievements the, the most you can. I mean, Barca fans are famous and notorious for doing that. But this is silverware in a season in which I personally, just talking for myself now, was not expecting it. Um, I did say the target for the season was renewing the squad so what we could build the future. And that's been achieved. And on top of that, there's some silverware great. And we are eight matches away from hopefully, I think we depend on ourselves again. So hopefully lifting La Liga again. That would be extraordinary. Imagine a doblete, uh, a double, with the current squad, with Messi wanting to leave in the summer, uh, with people like, no disrespect, but go back to what these people were 12 years, um, sorry, 14 months ago. Uh, Ilash Moriba, Puch, Mingueza, uh, Araujo. Mm -hmm. They've been... The, the the heart of the team that is about to achieve this is it's incredible we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It really is. Yep, and I say it every week. You do it without Ansu Fati is a, another just incredible thing to me because he's Barcelona's best young player uh, and arguably the best young player in the world when healthy, when he was fit. So that's incredible to me too. And, uh, you know, it's funny. If people are going back and look and listen to the tape, I, you know, I was somehow I was a little more optimistic than you. I, I think, and yeah. this is, and this comes from, you know, and, and looking back at it, you know, the season's not over. The league is still up for grabs, but having won the Copa del Rey, the, my reason for optimism was the, the slight difference that we had where I had watched the Juvenil Oz and Barca B for the last few years. And I'm, and I'm, I was trying to tell you and not just you, but uh, trying to tell people that, Hey, this East media kid, there's something there. I had mentioned that, you know, Mingueza, even though he wasn't playing, there were, you have Jorge Cuenca, who's doing well at Ameria. You have Chumi, who's playing uh, as well as 
now I'm blanking on the other one, but, or Araujo, there it is. So you had um, three or four center backs that was, they were going to be first team players somewhere in the world. That was good competition. It winds up being good competition for Barca B. And even though last year they're playing the third division, you know, even Ricky Puj was deserving of a call-up. And now this season you have Alex Callado who deserves that call-up. And so the argument I made and the argument that has bared fruit for me is that I understand that only a few players come from the academy every season, but what I was seeing, at least through the eye test from some of those talents, was that you have a really, really good generation after having a generation that, you know, because as much as we could argue that Mark Bartra and and uh, Martin Montoya and De, La, and De La Feu, like, yeah, that was a pretty good generation, but it was a pretty good generation. It wasn't necessarily that that talent you could see is could be top, top shelf. Now for Ies Mariba, 18 years old, there's still a, a long way to go. Ningaitha, can he do this over the course of an entire season or two seasons? Ricky Puj, we know his talent, but can he become an actual starter at FC Barcelona? There are still questions. Alex Callado, can he actually be a first-team player? And the list goes on and on. Is Des, can he improve? Can he become defensively more solid? Blah, 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 blah. Can Ansu Fadi come back from injury? There are questions up and down for each of these youngsters. Can they replicate their... Pedri, can he replicate that form? Sure. But my point is, Barcelona have have brought together a group of, in that locker room like he did and was able to cultivate some of that incredible talent that was coming through, then Barca could win a trophy. And that is what I had said then, and that is what I almost what I feel like I've been vindicated for with that Copa del Rey trophy. So, uh, Frances, I want to give you a last word on the Copa del Rey and the generation and all those positive things, because then we have to talk about the, uh, the dark cloud that, that is awaiting us. We do, we do. We've got... Um... Quite a bad-tempered elephant waiting for us at the other side of the break, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, no, just to say that I'm not quite sure what else Kuman needs to do to keep his job, to be honest. Uh, the, the questions have been sort of floating around all season. Um, the media weren't really asking Kuman too much, say, three, four months ago. But over the last, let's say, six days, or, or probably a little bit more now, 10 days, in every press conference, they ask him. Um, are you going to be here next season? Do you think you deserve to be here next season? Blah, 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 blah. Now, I don't really know what else you expect from a manager to do to be able to keep his job when he has sort of taken a squad that was, let's say, a level six, seven and taken them to level nine at the moment, I would say. It, it is remarkable. Obviously, we've got a new president, not that new anymore, but obviously Laporta didn't start the season. Um, he's got people that he trusts. He may have second ideas. But obviously, he came in with a as far you know as far as we see in front of the media an open book and a sort of prove me wrong sort of attitude. This is Laporta, obviously, and Kuman has excelled. Um, I listened to Laporta's press conference after the final, not just the video of him going for awful, modo for awful, like he did all the way in the dressing room, just going nuts and crazy, which yeah. is nice to see, isn't it? That's yeah. really that's what you expect. That's what you want. That you want some passion and. That's what Laporta brings, obviously a lot more. But that's what you remember from him. Uh, from him, just you know, him popping champagne bottles, being drenched, just uh, smoking a cigar, this sort of thing. <laughs> smoking is bad for you. Don't smoke. But you know what I mean. Yeah. And um, he said that he was very happy with Kuman and what he was bringing to the table. And then obviously he shifted and thanked Athletic Bilbao and and their fans for blah blah blah. He just basically changed topic as he would do because he had nothing else to add at the moment. But you know. Uh, credit to Kuman when he's due. Um, if he had been rubbish, we would be saying this as well. There's no sort of allegiance here. But let's see what happens. I really do think that he's done enough to, to keep his job. Yep. Um, and whether he'll be managing in the uh, in the Liga, in the Copa del Rey, in the Champions League, or the Super League is the other question to be to be to be answered. So 
it's that time in the show. Everybody knew it was coming. Let's do it. What we do know is 12 teams are going to be part of this. They've called themselves the founding members of the Super League. Three from Spain. You know who they are. They're creating this again. It's called the Super League. So really interesting uh, name of a, of a league here. JP Morgan and Key Capital are rumored to be offering each of the league's founding members an initial assured 3.6 million euros. However, previous estimates also say that the clubs are almost certain that they're going to get even higher fee. So there's going to be an initial, this is what you get from joining the league. And then there are financial incentives along the way. There are going to be financial incentives when a, when a broadcasting deal is met as well. So Frances, I think at this point, all of our listeners are well informed of what this Super League is. And they came here because mm-hmm. they want to hear what we feel about it and where our opinions are. So I want to give you the first word on this. Okay. Um let me start by saying, I've been thinking about this a lot. I normally, oh, yeah. as you know, <laughs> I come on the podcast and I just say things. Yeah. Uh, I don't really prepare too much. I obviously watch the matches uh, yeah. once and twice when it's, uh, when it's worth it. And uh, today, I didn't prepare as such, but I listened to a lot of what other people had to say. Yeah. And I've got lots of data, but I'm not going to go through the data at the beginning. Um, I honestly know what people want me to say i know what the populist vision is i know that if i say it's a disgrace they're super selfish you're ruining football and i don't want to say about word but stuff them all that will get us a lot of listeners that will get us a lot of views that will get us a lot of comments and i fully know what people have already said uh just going into what the media and the let's say the majority of fans seem to be saying Okay, but obviously we haven't got to 254 episodes by me always saying what people want me to say. So I'm going to say what I feel. And what I feel is that the Superliga is not good for football as a whole. I think that as a football lover, I mean, I didn't start playing football when I was little just because I supported Barca. I started playing football because the ball was round and I like kicking it about and I like scoring goals and Disclaimer, I like kicking people as well because I was a defender as well. But that, that's a different story. Uh, the sport of football would suffer because of the Superliga. Totally get that. Um, I think that Barca, Madrid, Tottenham, Arsenal, they got to where they are because of the hundreds of years, uh, in, in most cases, of history uh, that have created a fan base over the years. And they've been playing against, you mentioned the other day in the official Barca stream in the locker room, I was watching you, Dan. Uh, you said about okay. Arenas de Huecho and mm-hmm. against Sabadell, Europa, and you know, Gymnastic and all of these clubs. And Barca is the club it is because they played against all of these teams throughout the years. However, I'm a football fan, but I'm also a Barca fan. It has been, I don't think I've ever watched a Levante against Leganes match at 3 p.m. on a Saturday. Um, and I don't think it's been, I don't know, nearly 40 years now that I haven't watched that game. And I think it's probably going to be another 100 until I watch that game again. Um, so also you need to put into the balance that Barca are in enormous debt. Um, you can, again, watch and listen to the tape. Ten programs ago or so, we were talking about whether Barca are going to go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Now, you can go back and argue, you know, Barca are in that dire financial situation because of mismanagement because of, um, you know, overspending in players that obviously didn't weren't value for money. But Barca are in the, in the position that we are financially. Also, I'm a Barca fan, okay? Uh, having for, again, nearly 40 years, and I'm not going to change now. 
I have got full respect for Sporting de Gijón and Oviedo and Leganés and all these clubs, but I support Barca. So anything that is going to make Barca better cannot be a bad thing. Cannot be a bad thing. So, and I know it's very unpopular to say this, but if Barca have got in excess of 300 million followers on social media and they are with Real Madrid and I think then it's PSG, Bayern Munich, um, Chelsea, Arsenal. I don't know if in that order, but, you know, in the, I was watching, I've done a lot of research today. In the top 20 teams, in terms of numbers of, fo- of followers on social media, the 12 that are in the Super League are in that top 20, um, with obviously Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, and PSG also being in the, in yeah. the, upper, in the upper, I think they're in the top 10 of all those three. But that's the situation we have today. That's the situation we have today. Uh, there's a lot of people that watch football games on their phones. There's a lot of people that are watching Twitch, which, you know, for me, is even hard to pronounce. Um, the, the, this guy, Ibai Llanos, who is a Spanish Twitch streamer, mm-hmm. has got something absurd, like six, six million people watching him every week. It's insane. Mm-hmm. The world is changing. And the Champions League, as it is, um, is a format from pushing it, the late 1980s. It hasn't really changed that much. And what it has changed is the fact that now we have a lot more teams from, let's face it, uh, parts of Europe in which the, the viewership is not what it is when you're watching a Barca Madrid or a Manchester United, Atletico Madrid. And, you know, when was the last time you watched a fantastic game in the Champions League in the group stages? Never, really. Uh, you, I, as far as I remember... The Barca Juventus this season was pretty good, but I can't remember any other, you know. So um, as a fan and as a Barca fan first, if joining the Superliga is going to make Barca better economically and I'm going to be able to watch much higher quality, better games more often, I'm, I'm in for it. I'm in for it. I think the current format is wrong. I think that the current vision that they've got is very elitist and that's what people are saying. I understand that. But... I would much rather watch, if you just give me the Champions League as it is now, and you give me the Super League as it's proposed, I'd rather watch the Super League. I mean, you brought up a lot of points there. A lot of points. I, I think first, I want to start with my reaction. Uh, my initial feeling was, I think I was sad more than anything, because, you know, people come here where I've listened to so many other, we'll say, you know, neutral or read so many other people that because they cover more than just FC Barcelona like we do here, that they're able to take certain stances. And so by connecting myself to FC Barcelona and that even being financial. So yesterday I was doing a, a pretty big adult financial thing and that's why we didn't record yesterday. That's why it's Tuesday here. But as we're as I'm sitting and as I'm doing the different things I was doing, I was listening to people and listening to the podcast and the radio and all I could all I'm doing on this big monumental life day is thinking about the Super League because I've connected myself financially to FC Barcelona in this way. And the thought that the club is choosing to do something that the fans hate so, 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 so much is discouraging. So as much as I keep hearing the same arguments, those but arguments... do they, though, Dan? Let me, let, me, let me interrupt there. I'm going to challenge you there. Do the fans really hate this? Well, that, so that's, that's all I'm about to bring up. That, like, I, yeah. the, I'm, I keep thinking and trying to do the numbers. How many listeners, how many readers, etc. will we lose because people can't stomach what this means for their club? Now, what I consider, though, and what I do calm myself is knowing that great change is always met with great pushback. Always, always, always. Like, and that's really good. I kept coming back to that everyone says they hate it, and that's true. But 
every big change that has happened in, in football throughout history, and I have many, many examples here, was always hated from the start. And you can't think of something not being the way it is until it isn't that way anymore. So just imagine trying to explain the modern Champions League. Also, <laughs> I was thinking, not just the modern Champions League, but try to explain televisions and the internet and Hot Pockets to Kool-Aids who were just done celebrating another Catalan football championship back in 1903 and looking forward to participating in the Copa Micaia against some of the best teams in Spain, like the ones I had mentioned, like, you know, the, all those Basque countries where football only existed really in the Basque country and the Catalans, and it wasn't even really getting to Madrid or Andalusia just yet. Uh, and, and imagine explaining that to Kool-Aids back then the ways that football would change, the way technology would change, the way that viewership would change, the way that people would intake their clubs. I mean, we exist as a podcast, something that did not exist 10 years ago or something yep. that didn't exist 10, 15 years ago. So the way that people are taking in their club and enjoying their club is different. So from the people from ages and many of our listeners too, from ages 20 to 45, which is basically our demographic, I, you know, I try to understand the arguments that even I hate him with every fiber of my being, but the argument that Florentino Perez was making when he was trying to say that young people are ingesting the game a lot different than we do, than, than people our age are. And that is so true. Yep. And I mean, I, I, for people who might not know, I worked in baseball for a long time. I, I don't know how much I'm, I'm on the hook to be able to allow to say certain things, but I certainly, while working for baseball, for, and for Major League Baseball, I had my critiques of the sport of baseball. And some of my frustrations were that it seemed like they were looking in the short term and say, hey, a lot of our audience is in this age demographic. So we need to make sure that they get what they want because we don't want to. I mean, you've got little ones, you know, what they choose to watch and their habits of how they intake the things that they enjoy isn't up to us. It, it's up to, I mean, the way that, I mean, this is a whole, we're, we're about to really blow this up. I, I feel like it's, we're on the verge of it, Frances, that this conversation is about to be about much more than football because, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm right on the verge of just blowing up this whole conversation because now we're talking about, you know, <laughs> generations of technology and, and we haven't even gotten into the rich getting richer and the hypocrisy and all that things because I think mm -hmm. that's next on the docket, right? So let me, yeah. I'll, you can respond to me and then I want to get into some of the other things that are involved in this conversation. No, um, I've got not much to add based on what you just said. Um, all I can say is that out of the top 10 richest and most productive, because uh, we're not really talking, that's the thing, we're not really talking about the essence of football here. We're not talking corners and free kicks. We're talking about football as an enterprise. We're talking about football as, a, as content, as an entertainment. And this is what football is um, at this level. This is what football has become. I mean, no one can obviate the fact that Manchester City and Chelsea, to put two examples, they became huge clubs because there was a big influx of money. I'm not even talking about PSG here. So the, 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 econo the economics, the, 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 the money, the business part of the business uh, of the sport is huge and is what has made a lot of clubs progress. And uh, that, that, that's one argument to make. The other one, how much money does FIFA and UEFA take out of the Champions League um, revenue that they make. Uh, I've seen different reports across Catalonia and beyond, and it's in the region of 40%. Now, why should this money go somewhere else? This money should go back to the clubs that are, that are, are the competition. Obviously, I do believe that clubs, and I'm just going to say a couple, like Slavia Praga, Rosenborg, um, I don't know, um, Vienna. The, what is it? Rapid Vienna. Yep. They, they make the Champions League, they deserve to be there, and they've got a fan base, they, they qualify on merit. I get all of that. But 
ultimately the sporadic viewer is going to want to watch them play against Barca, play against Madrid, play against Chelsea, play against um, Arsenal, Juventus, Inter Milan. And those are the teams that are the, the big bites of the of the competition and they are the ones that bring the money. So if Barca are at the verge of disappearing, and because this is the other one, I don't think I haven't read this anywhere else. But say the Champions League is formed and say Barca are no part of it. Okay, so so there are 12 clubs minus one, which is Barca. Who, who joins from Spain? Sevilla, Atletico Madrid, Madrid. What happens to Barca then? What if Barca does not join? Uh, this, if, if, if these clubs are so serious about taking this proposal forward, yeah. not, not joining brings your club down the hole for probably the next 30 years. Because if um, just by, by joining the Superliga, just by playing, you're going to make four times more than Bayern Munich made last year in the Champions League by winning, then not joining means that your club is going down the hole for the next 30 years. And I certainly understand the richer, built by the poor, taken by the rich. I understand all that. But not joining, if you've got the possibility, is something that basically moves your club away from being able to win even at domestic level for many years to come. And the last thing I would say, I don't know what you're going to say after, but the last thing I would say is that like I saw um, a statement by Everton, okay? Everton, uh, really critical about it. And uh, for whatever reason, that's what came through my Facebook feed, right? Because I've got no other social media. I've just, I just use Facebook. And they were very critical of it. But what if instead of Tottenham being invited to the Superliga, they had invited Everton? Would the chairman of Everton be saying that? Or is the chairman of Everton saying that because they didn't get invited? Big question. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think for all the clubs, I think Kool-Aid can at least uh, almost sleep well knowing that of those 12 clubs in the Super League, it seems like Barca and Laporta are the, we'll say, the softest sign-up of anything. I mean, Laporta spoke out against the Super League in the past, and of all the 12 teams, I would argue that Barca has distanced itself the most with the announcements yeah. that they put out. I think it was simply... They were a, last to sign, Dan. Um, right. I was listening yeah. to Catalonia Radio over the weekend, and uh, yesterday again, and uh, Barca were the last to sign... Apparently, it was, um, it was obviously taken forward by Bartomeu, and uh, they made sort of a pledge of alliance in the last day of Bartomeu at the club. But this final agreement was signed by Laporta on Saturday, according to Catalonia Radio. Yeah, I mean, and you already brought up the truth of that, is that because of Barca's debt, this might be necessary to keep Barca from going bankrupt, which for exactly. Kule's listening to us, that is the worst case scenario. So would you rather stomach Barca, I mean, doing this thing to, uh, as again, I'm going to continue to talk about, crush the soul of football, which is something I, I think is hyperbole at this point. But the other thing I want to note, too, is there's still so much we don't know. Unlike other conversations and rumors about this leading up to this moment, this feels like a point of no return. So certainly th there is a cataclysmic moment coming for football and a reckoning coming, but the courts will be heavily involved. And what, where, when this all plays out in 20, the end of this season, the end of this year, 2022, we're not really sure. But yeah, I, I also want to piggyback on the point that yes, of course, um, it is not a pro Super League argument to say that there is hypocrisy in this when it comes to UEFA and obviously country owned clubs like PSG and Man City who shirk FFP which has become a complete joke, obviously. And then clearly clubs like Barca and Madrid clubs won't be able to keep up with that financial structure of these company of these country-owned clubs, right? And so part of this is because FIFA and UEFA allow clubs to be owned in that fashion, right? So it's it says, oops, we made a mistake, but also don't change this on us. And, and don't tell me what that FIFA, 
who, <laughs> I mean, FIFA is a funny part. UEFA, I understand. The UEFA Champions League, the way that they run their money, obviously this is going, taking directly from their pocket. FIFA, however, and their different competitions, if the Super League were to win in court, which it, I mean, it's likely that they do, the idea that FIFA is going to pull those players from the World Cup, <laughs> come on. The, the, no file, the file at Interpol and the FBI on FIFA is one of the largest in the back office, I bet. At least the, the hypocrisy and the evil that, that the Super League is doing, the, the way it's spitting in the, in the face of, of fans, at least that they're, they're spitting in your face, as opposed to FIFA that seems to be stabbing people in the back. And well, I mean, when it comes to, I mean, come on, don't get me started about the, the World Cup. And like, you're talking about... Are you talking about uh, upsetting fans? Are you talking about human rights violations? Because now we're talking about different things. And again, it's not a, a pro Super League argument, but it's a pushback against being reactionary. That it's a shame. It is. It is really. I mean, this is where I. Uh, this is where I was sad about this. It is a shame that clubs are willing to gamble that fans will just get over it and the attention of the best possible uh, because of the best competition possible that will keep eyes and more importantly keep broadcast revenue and not care about the fans in the stands because these ticket prices Frances, are going to be so so expensive but that's where the premier league started wasn't it i mean you you were in the uk for more than a decade here the yep. money pouring in from the premier league spain was falling behind and it almost feels like i can't speak for manchester united and the and and tottenham and arsenal and man city and chelsea um, and liverpool but Spain was falling behind, and that Premier League money, you were talking about a different class, and it was separating other countries. And, and, and as you bring up, that's what happened, where Spain was going to go by the way of what this is going to do to Scotland, to Austria, to the Czech Republic, to Russia, to all those different European leagues that aren't a part of the Super League. This is what's going to happen to them, and they are going to fall by the wayside. But Spain had to take, I mean, not and not even Spain, but Real Madrid, Atletico, and Barca for self-preservation to keep up with the Premier League. I mean, I, I felt like this was a fourth move too. This isn't, again, this is not an out for Barcelona. There had to be a different way to go about this. But, I mean, I'm just going through the motivations as to why FC Barcelona signed up for the Super League. It's not about the sporting part. We've mentioned that several times, and I want to make that clear. It's not about the uh, free kicks. It's not about Messi's magic. It's about money at this stage. This is what we're talking about today, and this is why this is happening. Otherwise, the Superliga doesn't exist. The product of La Liga, okay? If, let's just make it simple. If, the pro, if, if a La Liga season broadcasting rights, it's 100 million euros. Now, it's more, I understand, but, you know, let's just put it as 100. How much is La Liga worth without Madrid, Barça, and Atletico? 20? When you've got Sevilla, Real Sociedad, and Betis being the best players, in the, the best teams in the whole league? Not worth it. Not worth it. So there is no way that Barça, Madrid, and Atletico are going to be kicked out of La Liga. There is no way because yeah. La Liga collapses. The Liga collapses. And the thing is, the clubs know this. And what they are doing is like, right. And this is not, this hasn't been thought over the last two months. You know, this has been going on for nearly a decade. There was uh, quotes for Arsene Wenger talking about this in 2009. And, uh, you know, this Superliga, as it is, has been announced, apparently has been in the works um, in terms of being agreed for the last three years and, and refined behind the scenes. So this is not new. So um, I woke up without Messi, Ronaldo, uh, De Bruyne, De Jong. doesn't go ahead. It really doesn't go ahead. And then if you've got a player choosing to, a top, 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 top player, choosing to either play for the national team or play for, let's say, not to call about, not to say about us, to play for, I don't know, Juventus. Are they going to choose to play for Italy or are they going to choose to play for Juventus and get paid six times more money? Because obviously 
if the amount of money that is coming for Juventus is going to be four times higher just for taking part in this competition. Where's that money going? That money is going to go back to make the squad better. So what are players going to be looking for? Are, are you going to be working uh, throughout? And, you know, life of football players is short, um, the, the, the working life, really. If you've got 10 years at the maximum level, are you going to go and settle for six times less money and play for, exaggerating, Kievo Verona and not a team of the Super League because you want to play for Italy? Uh, it's a very hard decision to make. I, I've got, I mean, my, my brother's a footballer. I've got a lot of friends who have been professional footballers as well. And obviously, I've got some contacts as well. I can tell you the majority of them, knowing the short span of the, of the professional life as a, as a professional athlete, as a footballer, they, they have no option but to go for the 10, for the 10 years at the highest level, uh, getting paid the most money you can, even at the sacrifice of playing. But the thing is, the World Cup cannot go ahead without the players that play for the top 15. And obviously, there's going to be five invites, isn't it? So uh, the top 20 teams in the world, it just, it just can't happen. Um, you've already touched on it. If UEFA and FIFA had been prim and proper and they never really had any scandals, no bribery, no nothing behind the scene, then I could probably put my hands up and say, hey, they're faultless. They've been faultless for 80 years, 100 years. And they're trying to break away. That's quite dishonest. But come on, with this, you can Google FIFA corruption and everything's going to pop up. You don't need me to tell you. And the other thing is, what would the option be? In my, in my eyes, saying everything I've said, in my eyes, the best option is for them both to talk and agree yeah. and make the situation better. Superliga as it is, I will be flabbergasted if, it's, if it happens um, as they're proposing it. I will be incredibly surprised if the UEFA Champions League, they're saying they're going to reform it by 2024. By, by then, all the money is gone. By then, all the big clubs are gone. They need to act quicker. So mm -hmm. they've got no option but to talk to each other. Um, we want a strong European club competition in which Lionel Messi is playing or whoever takes the button after him, Griezmann, Dembélé, uh, De Bruyne, whoever. Doesn't matter. Mbappé, Haaland, doesn't matter. You want them playing in the biggest competition. And the biggest competition... Uh, will be where these players are playing. If you've got JP Morgan and uh, Superliga or the League of Elephants, it doesn't matter what it's called, doesn't matter who it is, but the ones that get the best players are going to be the games which people will be watching. And UEFA and FIFA have got no option but to listen to these clubs. And all of these empty threats that they're throwing about just now, they're just going to look back because yeah. they're going to have to swallow the tail. They're going to look back at the tape and look back at the, um, at the releases that they've made and they're going to have to swallow it up. A La Liga without Atletico, Barca, and Real Madrid is not worth less, obviously, but it's worth very, very little. Now, I do know and I do understand and I do agree with the you're destroying football as we know it. And I, and I do get that. But ultimately, Barca is very close to bankruptcy and, and we need to keep moving forward. And I know I'm making a lot of points, but I'm on one. So I'm just going to make the next one, <laughs> if, if you'll allow me. Yeah. The NBA, the NBA. Okay? You're a big fan of the NBA? So am I. Yeah. The New York Knicks. <laughs> the New York Knicks would have been relegated 20 times over the last 20 years. But they're still there now. Are people stopping to watch the NBA because the Knicks are rubbish? No. Princess, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you 18 out of 20 years. I'll give you 18 out of 20. There was, there was All right, fine. <laughs> yeah, agree, agree, agree. Latrell Spruill and their friends did very well. And Marcus Camby did very well on that one season. One season. Yeah, yeah. But 
they're not getting relegated. The Memphis Grizzlies, not relegated. Uh, the OKC, some seasons really good, some seasons not that great. Yep. And are people stopping to watch the NBA because it's always the same teams? No, no. You can argue that the audience goes up in playoff time. Fine, the Superliga have planned to have a playoff as well. But ultimately, um, the last basketball game that I watched was the Lakers against the Celtics, uh, not that long ago. That's like the Barca Madrid, mm-hmm. right? That's the, 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 the classical of the NBA. I would rather watch four of those a season than just the, the, the two that we watch in La Liga right now. And then if, imagine if they meet in the, in the Superliga final. You can argue you can also meet in the Champions League final. But obviously, the teams that are in the same country, they're avoiding each other in the group stages. So you can only really have a maximum of four classicals if they happen to meet in the semifinals, which to my memory, and I could be wrong here, has happened once in the last 15 years. So I think it's a win-win-win situation for the fans because we're going to watch more quality games more often. And to me, that's a good thing. I know, I know the popular thing is to rubbish all this idea. I know the popular thing is to say something completely different. But I have to speak my mind, and that's how I'm feeling. Yeah, I mean, well, you, I think you stumbled on something with the NBA and the future of how, again, the next generation younger than us. It's funny, people always ask us how, how old we are. We're, we're old enough to remember basketball in the 90s. That's how, I mean, in Francesca, you've got even a few uh, años yeah. on me as well. But you, I think you stumbled <laughs> on something about the way that um, younger generations are watching sports, and that is, especially through the NBA, I mean, it has rose in popularity because of uh, fans of just individual players. I think you're going to yep. see even more of that moving forward. And back to the point about the, the Spanish football, because that, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the soul of Spanish football. Do Real Madrid and Barcelona and Atletico Madrid have a moral obligation to raise all football around them and in their ecosystem and everything that, that comes about from the competitions that they play in? That is the moral question that's being asked. And in Barca's press release, again, it might just be a lot of uh, a lot of talk at this moment, but you talked about continuity and working together to create some kind of final result here. So, Barca's press release says that midweek fixtures will all be with all participating clubs continuing to compete in the respective national leagues, preserving the traditional yep. domestic match calendar, which remains at the heart of the club game. So, there clearly is a priority, at least in words, that Barca want to continue to support Spanish football and provide revenue for Spanish football. Now. That is impossible to do because of the, again, you're talking about travel to now all these different countries all the time, not just uh, eight champion, or rather make that six Champions League group stages over the course of a few weeks. You're talking about a constant Super League on weekends and how are you going to potentially have your La Liga uh, 38 matches. That's just It's just going to be too much football. But that's the way that we see these systems working. But this means these 12 are saying to the rest of football, and this is what's upset everybody, that, hey, to support us, we're asking you to make radical change through hundreds of different clubs, through tons of different t- tons of different leagues and divisions and going down those pyramids. Because, it, it, I mean, it's what you brought up. If Barca is leaving La Liga, Copa del Rey, etc., as in they are forced out of those competitions because of the money they are costing UEFA, of course, that would be cataclysmic for everyone. I mean... As we mentioned here, Barca are not recovering from COVID. And that is something that's being brought up by Barca, by uh, Real Madrid, that these clubs, because they were trying to keep up with the Joneses of Man City, yes, these are self-inflicted wounds, of course. But they're also so paramount, it is paramount that these clubs succeed for everybody else as well around in, in their ecosystem. And Spanish clubs as a whole 
have never really recovered from the 2008 financial global crisis to begin with. So losing all that revenue broadcasting deals without the big three would be cataclysmic, as you mentioned, for so, so, so many clubs and Spanish football as we know it. I mean, so this decision that Barca Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid leaving is ripping the heart out of Spanish football is absolutely true. You've seen the trouble that Valencia, Deportivo La Coruña, Malaga, for example, and others have gotten into. That will only multiply to many other clubs. I mean, a slight counter-argument, though, is that the likes of Sevilla, Athletic Club, Real Betis, Real Sociedad, even the occasional Granada, they will likely get a better shot at a Champions League money, which can definitely be less in the future, but still substantial if you were to, again, continue to have next man up, if you will, for these different global competitions. But yeah, but all that said, you're right. I, I know that it looks on the surface here because of the things that UEFA and FIFA are saying that Real Madrid, Barca, and Atletico Madrid are going to be leaving the the league and their country, and they're turning their back on the grassroots soccer and I or football. And I completely understand that argument, but we know that 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 financially cannot happen. That's not going to happen. There is going to be some kind of impasse that's going to come where whether it's Barca, Real Madrid, and Atletico Madrid are are forced through the Spanish FA, not even forced, but have to agree upon some kind of donation, if you will, to grassroots football in Spain or some kind of revenue sharing of a league that they're not even in. I could see all that happening because of the sheer amount of money that these super clubs or these super league clubs will be generating. So I, I mean, I understand that what it looks like and the solutions that have been put forth in this conflict are not good for everybody. And I totally understand how that spits in the face of fans and goes against the, the soul of, of, of the club. And it's, it's now a moral argument, but I don't think that's how it's going to play out. I think that this story and this understanding of what the future holds has only begun to be written. Yeah. And uh, I think that the, the 12 teams that are breaking away, they're not bluffing. I think that they made it official. Yeah. And that's what UEFA has been probably hoping for many years or hope, somehow trying to secure that this didn't happen. But it is inevitable that they want a bigger piece of the pie. The 40% that UEFA and FIFA are keeping of pretty much every competition, certainly the Champions League, I've got no idea where it's going. But that is money that should be going back to the clubs. And it's up to the clubs to, 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 you know, to, to invest in the best possible way. Then the TV rights for La Liga. Say Barca, Madrid, and Atletico State, at the moment, they're not really shared evenly. No. But if Barca, Madrid, and Atletico are getting that much more from being part of the Superliga, then maybe that could be shared more, more in a more equality way. Uh, the Premiership already do it better than La Liga. Barca, Madrid already take, I think it's four times the money that someone like Betis would get. Um, so that's not equal as it is. Uh, so, you know, there are lots of improvements to make. But ultimately, I'm not close to the idea of clubs taking back control. Uh, you can argue that it's not every club, but then again, you know, you can you can see, I know it's, it's off topic a little bit, but you know, the, the celebrations at the end of La Copa, okay? And that's probably gonna go full circle in the podcast today. At the end, did you see that when Barca was celebrating, every single player, uh, especially the youngsters, wanted a photo just with Messi by themselves? It's the same, it's the same principle, it's the same principle. You've got Barca Madrid and the other 10 clubs leading the way, Everyone wants to get close to them because they're the ones that basically have got the charisma, have got the power, have got the following. And everyone wants a piece of that. It's, it's very, very, very simple. If the clubs are producing the money for people to want to tune in to watch, then that money should be going back to the clubs. Um, and, you know, with all due respect, Montpellier against Toulouse, not really many people interested on that. Uh, the other day, 
I was flipping through my TV. There was a Celta game. I skipped it. I skipped it, to, to be honest. And uh, I know, again, I'm going off topic, but I think it is related as well. Um, I don't know if we've got any Formula One fans listening, but um, I'm assuming a lot of people have Netflix. Drive to Survive. Have you heard of that, Dan? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so Drive to Survive. Think about how many people have watched Drive to Survive Season 3, which was released, I believe, three or four weeks ago. How many people have watched that compared to how many people watched the actual race? You know, I've been watching Formula One all my life. The other day, I was, it was Imola as well. It was a great race, uh, by the way. So I watched the first 15, 20 minutes, but then I really, really wanted to watch chapter 10, um, episode 10 of Drive to Survive, because that's basically the decider for the previous season, which, by the way, I already knew the answer anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I switched back. I watched the episode 10, and then I went back to the end of the Formula One race, and it was still there. Yeah. They were still going around. You know, and it is exciting, but, you know, the yeah. world is evolving. It's not just about the football match. It's about the pre-match, uh, the, like the locker room that you're featuring in. It's about the aftermatch, like the podcast that we're doing today. It's about the different apps. It's about, I'm not on this nonsense, but the TikToks and the little stories and the videos. It goes beyond that. There's yeah. a lot more people consuming. I know this is not a word that you want to watch, in, uh, you want to say in a football podcast, and it would hurt people that have football at their heart to even say this. By consuming the product of Barca, there are millions of more people doing that than actually watching the 90 minutes of the game. So trying to get more of the piece for our club at this moment of global pandemic, of economic need, that we're talking about not even being able to sign any players. How, what, what sort of fun is that? You know, so I don't think Barca are wrong to want to take more control of their finances. You can argue it's selfish, you can argue all sorts, but ultimately, Barca are in the top two of most followed uh, social media football yeah. brands in the world. So they've yeah. got to take advantage of that. Yeah, and it's, it is a weird thing. I mean, I think people have probably tuned out to us if they think that we took a... And I know we're going to get this pushback, that people are going to believe that we took a pro-Super League argument, but I, no. I don't think we did. I think we took a pro-Barcelona argument. And the other thing, too, is about the, the Mexican club aspect of this right and mesquian club representing whatever we'd like it to represent but i mean you and i i mean we we love barcelona and so for me i love the history the connecting to spanish football of course and i'm proud of the ways that barca survived the spanish civil war or franco's dictatorship and always served as a club that represented progressive values i mean it was, it was some of the things that brought me to the club in in the beginning and we have talked about how the soul of every big club has had to go by the wayside just to keep up. And this is the next step on that ladder. And now where this connects to is where is in terms of survival, in terms of progressive values, in terms of what Barca represents, where is that going as we continue on in the 20 in this in this next this next generation, in the 21st century? Um, and one of the things that I came up with was before we leave it here, I, I, I we need to talk about the throwaway line that they would play in a women's super league, too, because yeah. I mean, women's football is part of the future. And I know that people have pushed against it. And I know people tune out when we talk about women's football here. I mean, but. Part of my fear when reading about the Super League, too, is I have no idea what that will mean for Barca Femini. And since I can't guarantee that no thought has been put into it, because I'm not sure how much thought was actually put into it by these rich CEOs and all these, again, because that's who's making the money here, the owners and the CEOs, it's too early to tell. But I hope that Barca Femini don't suffer in the Champions League. Yeah, go ahead. I, I want to finish this point on the Femini, but please. You know, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm talking about Femini as well. Yeah. I would be much, much, much more likely to watch... Barca Femini against Manchester City one week and then Chelsea 
and then Arsenal, and then Tottenham, and then Inter Milan, and then Juventus, and then Madrid, then I am watching the Liga Iberdrola with all due respect to, I don't know, Villarreal Femenino. With all due respect to them, I would be yeah. much more inclined to watch that. And also for the women's football, I think even, even more significant because there's going to be a lot more competition, there's going to be a lot more income coming in, and there's going to be much more development going through. So I think it's also good for Femini as well. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that the Femini, what has pushed them forward the most this season in 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 watching is, is just the Champions League. Is that competition, the idea that they are one of the best in all of Europe. And yeah, I mean, they're currently playing right now and they're, they're, they're beating up on, I mean, this is actually a close one. They're winning 3-1 against Granadilla, but it's one of the closest matches of the season so far because they've only yeah. conceded five goals all year long and they've won, what, 22 straight or 23 straight in the league. So they're going to be facing now in the semifinals of the Champions League against PSG, actually not Lyon, which is interesting to note. Um, on Sunday, this is this Sunday on the in the first leg of the semifinals, so I just pray that UEFA doesn't kick them out of that competition because... They can't. Right, I mean, because... They can't kick them out. I mean... They can't kick them out. What are they going to do? They, well, but, they, but, they but, go. but that's the problem, but, but, but that's the problem is that when it comes to big, big, you know, organizations and whatever, like, I, no, they're not going to kick out uh, Real Madrid and Chelsea and who's the other one in the Champions League, whoever it Man may City. be. Man City. They're not going to do that to the, the, the men, but the thing is, like, the, the, femi like, the feminino, women's football doesn't have the kind of power. So you could prove a point or you could take a stance against women's football and what's that going to do? So, I mean, I'm very cynical believing that, I mean, they would do whatever it would take to... You know, they're going to use women's football to send a message. And that that disgusts me. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't happen. But by the time you hear it, I you know, that's, again, what I hope doesn't happen. But I could see it happening. But anyway, the four teams remaining are Barca, PSG, Chelsea, and Bayern. So I could see UEFA saying, hey, PSG against Bayern, you guys have earned the rights because your men didn't jump to the Super League. But I think what it would, why it would break my heart is because Barca has a good chance as any of the four to win the Champions League this year for the Barca Femini. And, um, and I really hope they even get the chance to because, I mean, I've seen all four of these teams and PSG, um, I, you could say it's an upset of Lyon, but they were better than Lyon. Um, that said, yeah, it's a good fight, but, you know, Barca Femini are arguably the best team in the world. So I want to mention that. The last point here, I, I mean, I, I want to try to keep it under an hour here, but there's also, I think, moving forward, the final step for Barca is the socio vote or potential socio vote. So I mean, this is your expertise too. We're going back to when Barca joined the EuroLeague for basketball. That was not a socio vote. But can anyone argue who watches the, the Balancesto, can anyone argue that Barca joined the Super League wasn't good for, Barca, for Barca's basketball program? I can't, it, it was not because they continue to play domestic as well. Yeah, and also, you know, Barca will be in the next Euroliga, whether they do well in the National League or not. Uh, why? Because they are the ones that bring the audience. And, and yeah, I've got nothing much more to add, just to make it clear that I don't think the Superliga has, has, has been sort of presented. And they haven't really said very much, but with the information they've given, I don't think it's ideal. I don't think it's perfect. But I certainly think that for Barca, it's more of a necessity rather than let's go out for more greed. And that's it. I'm going to leave it there today. Yep. Yeah, I actually, I want to close with a, a little point that um, a friend of the show, uh, Musa Akwanga, he compared what's happening here to the church, to a church. And when people lost faith in the merits of the people who ran the church, 
we've seen a huge exodus in people leaving the church. Uh, and I, it made people question their position and participation in that church. And there was a, it, 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 that was an analogy that really got me thinking about the allegiances people have to clubs, the allegiances people have to football, and the, the religion that is football, the religion that is sport. Something that, again, I've dedicated my entire life to with this podcast and with every aspect of my life. And so what does sport mean to me? What does football mean to me? What does the, the soul of football mean to me? And what is the soul of sport? Why do people participate? And what's the whole point? And obviously, rich people amassing a grand amount of money and leaving others behind, that is what we don't want to see. But I don't know, and this is my final point, that I don't think we know enough about the Super League to say that even though on the surface it looks like these big clubs and big owners are just trying to line their own pockets and leave everybody else behind, I don't think that's going to be the final result to this. And so I would just ask people to be upset about how cynical this could be because you're right. If the clubs are just going to make their own private club and kick everybody out and all other clubs suffer and all other leagues suffer and you can't watch your local clubs anymore because they can't be financed because the big clubs were, were propping them up as we're about, whereas we're about to see, that is the worst outcome here. And I just hope that that's not what the worst outcome is. And I don't think it will be because this is going to court and the, this story is just, just beginning, but it is very, very serious. And that's why we had an over hour. We don't only go over an hour, Frances, when it's really, really serious. And that's why we went over an hour today. Yep. I've got nothing else to add. Um, I hope the program was useful. I know that obviously wasn't a popular thing to say. I know that some people will feel annoyed about what we said here, uh, but ultimately we need to speak our minds and, that was it. Yep. Yeah. Again, this is, this is we've, we've, we've staked some of our livelihood on this. So this is serious business to us. And that's why we're, we're being honest about it. So I, that's where exactly where we're going to wrap up the show today. So I, people are going to, I don't even need to tell people where to find us on social media, Frances. They're going to let us hear it. I, I, I guarantee. <laughs> don't that... tell them this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if you want to respond to us, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We have no idea. We got no, we got no way to find yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, people know that Frances only uses social, I mean, only Facebook. So if you want to, if you really want to get on Frances, don't yell at me on Twitter or Instagram. Find him in the Facebook group. So <laughs> you have to answer the questions and be nice about your answers. So we'll let you in the Facebook group. And then, um, yeah, and so as, as well as on, on Patreon, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to hear, especially our Patreons are our most thoughtful listeners. Truly, they are. Yeah. And they I'll have private conversations with them. And if you want to really get to me privately, um, you basically on Patreon. And then um, those conversations I've had with them are I think they're some of the most thoughtful people we have. Uh, and so Patreon is also how we continue to make these shows. So we always appreciate them over there. Um, we can also, you can also listen to these shows without ads. Um, so there's an incentive to support the show. And yeah, I mean, I guess us asking for money too is us destroying uh, the soul of podcasting. But, uh, you know, <laughs> anyway, if you're still with us, we're on YouTube too. Match reviews, all that on the Barcelona podcast. But most importantly, thank you so, so much for everybody, whether it's winning trophies in the Copa del Rey, uh, whether it's losing the Ligas, whether it's whatever Barca's doing at the time. You've been here through it all. So thank you so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. We hope you continue to do so. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Barca.